Welcome back to 2020 Vision, a podcast about politics, primaries, but as we said before, for the next few months, it will just be about primaries. We are your hosts, Arya Tusi, Miliana Boucher, and this week we're going to talk about Nevada, namely the debate earlier this week and the caucuses from today. Right now it is 9.15 p.m. on Saturday night, and as of now, about 4% of the caucus results are in, but first we're going to talk about the debate to give us some more time for these results to roll in. So the debate was Bloomberg's first time on a stage, and wow, he was the name to talk about when the debate was over. Yeah, uh, not in good ways. Yeah, he, um, to say, so each debate kind of has their person that gets attacked, and usually that person tends to be either the youngest or the oldest on the stage, so Biden or, or the front George. Correct. Long story short, this debate was definitely Bloomberg. Specifically... By Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, she was on the offensive on Wednesday night. Yeah, I read a lot of articles that are like, Donald Trump should be worried about Elizabeth Warren's performance in the debate. And I'm like, we'll see if she gets there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's not she's not polling that well, and she's not doing as well as, she, as she'd like to be doing in, in Nevada right now. But if she could make it to the debate, mm, what I wouldn't give to see her against Donald Trump. I've heard some people say that she brings similar energy to the debates as uh, Hillary Clinton. And I disagree with that, like, totally. I, I think she's much more animated and much more... Like, Clinton spoke kind of like Buttigieg, almost, uh, d- despite her experience as a politician. Um, but I think Warren has a genuineness that wouldn't be so harshly countered by Trump's debating Yeah, I strategy. think that I talked about this with a lot of my friends, and we talk a lot about, like, genuineness in the candidates and how that's a really important quality for people who aren't just looking at electability. And Warren is by far one of the most genuine candidates on stage. We also see Klobuchar is pretty genuine mm-hmm. on stage, but definitely people like Biden, Bloomberg, Buttigieg tend to read pretty fake, in my opinion. And so to see like the comment you made about Hillary Clinton, I completely disagree. With. I think yeah, I think I think uh, Buttigieg has the worst of it in that case. Like it, it's like when he speaks, it sounds like a robot. Yeah, and I think that really goes into the point of like not being prepared or not feeling prepared by the stage that you're on because he, there is a lot of critique around like oh he doesn't have much experience in the field and I feel like he tries to counter it with all his education he learned while right. he was studying international politics at Harvard but that doesn't really serve in his benefit in this case yeah um, but speaking of unpreparedness Bloomberg looked like he had not prepared for a single question so what on I think Wednesday is night. yeah so what I think is interesting is that Candidates who know they're going to get attacked, they spend days with teams preparing for the worst questions that can be possibly thrown at them. So, like, Biden, after Kamala brought up the busing, I mean, I'm pretty sure Biden has never known more about his busing policy ever after that happened. When Buttigieg was attacked for his wine cellar campaign uh, fundraisers, I'm sure that after that he had never learned more about what exactly went to those fundraisers than he did. Bloomberg didn't even know, seem to know what stop and frisk was. Right. I, I mean, like, this is, as someone who's lived in New York my entire life, and, like, you know, when I was first starting to get interested in politics, like, around 2009-ish, 2008-ish. Oh, my gosh, like, I was seven. <laughs> I mean, I was pretty young, too. I, I, just got, I just got, you know, thrown into it really early by my parents. But, like, that was when Bloomberg was nearing the end of his mayoral terms, and even then, stop and frisk was highly controversial to the point that I knew about it as a 10-year-old. 
So can you imagine him not knowing about it? And I didn't even live in the city. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he, a lot of things that Warren brought up were just incredibly incisive on Bloomberg's strategy, on the way that he had implemented stop and frisk, on how he felt about it now, on how his judgments would impact futures, things like that. So one thing that I think is really funny, actually, is um, I watched this kind of off track, but it'll come back together. I was watching this comedy special, and he was talking about how whether you know if you're talking to someone smart or someone clever. And the distinction that he made is that people who are clever try to make orthogonal arguments to what the actual point is just to discredit someone's reputation. And Warren was incredibly clever during Mm -hmm. the debate. To say that didn't know about stop and frisk would be false, but to say that she only attacked stop and frisk and didn't use stop and frisk as a method to attack everything else about him would be entirely accurate. Because, it, it, I mean, it's a, besides all the other stuff about Bloomberg, if you're looking purely on a policy standpoint, that is on the legacy of New York City itself, because that was, you know, a huge thing in the perception of how the NYPD was super racist. Yeah. Um, because the, that policy enabled it for so long. Going off of Warren being on the attack, it was not just... For Bloomberg. She went on the attack after everyone. Key moment is when she was attacking healthcare because all Democrats can talk about is healthcare, which is fine because half of the Democrats are at least at least that's something that they actually disagree on. I mean, w- yeah. when it comes to like they talk about climate change every debate, like okay, you all basically agree. Why are you wasting time on this? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, especially since the people who watch the debates aren't right. No one who's who has a D next to the name is like a climate change denier. You know? Yeah, but Warren went on the offensive for healthcare. So she went after Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bernie all in one go. And it was it was kind of like when someone finally says what everyone's thinking, except when they know they have something they gain from it. What did she say exactly? So remember? yeah, so when she she started with Buttigieg and she said that his plan was a obviously I'm paraphrasing here, but was a thinly veiled plan um, that was written by his consultants that would leave millions without insurance. So this left Buttigieg kind of doing his like smile thing that he does when he knows he's being attacked, you know, like the really uncomfortable. But The like, rat look. Yeah, mm-hmm, he did that. And then she went on to Klobuchar and said, Klobuchar's plan is even worse. It's like a post-it note that says, insert plan here. <laughs> so Klobuchar immediately raised her hand and also did the smile thing that's like the... Mm-hmm, I'm about to show her, which never happened. And then she went after Bernie, which was probably the most surprising part because her and Bernie are not pals anymore, which we might talk about. Yeah. But I think that I think that's a faux pas on her part. Yeah. On her campaign's part. But she said that even though Bernie was doing a good job in what his plan was, his campaign was vehemently attacking anyone who disagreed about any of his points, and his own advisors said that he wouldn't get elected in the first place <laughs> so I mean, this is what she said on a debate stage right and to this bernie just looked sad to the point about to the last point about, about bernie and uh getting elected he seems to be dominating the primaries yeah i mean at this point i'd say there's a 70 percent chance he wins the nomination mm-hmm. well she did follow up with not sure if he'll win and if he's win it will never happen the medicare really? for all Oh, oh, that that I agree with for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things like when when Biden talks about electability, 
that he seems to be in, incapable of articulating like well because I don't know Biden seems to have this issue continually where he can't say things that everyone who's paying attention to his campaign knows already. Um, but the electability thing for Biden is not just getting him elected. It's that he has the best chances of improving the Democrat situation and down ballot elections, which is what would matter in something like Medicare for all, which is the reason why it would never pass if Bernie is president. Going off of the debate between Bernie and, and Warren, I don't think we've actually talked about this on the podcast, but I think it's important to note that in the debate before this, um, prior to it, Bernie made a comment about how a woman could never be president. And what he meant mm-hmm. was America is not ready mm-hmm. for a woman to be president. Mm-hmm. And he has articulated that many times. And knowing Bernie Sanders, it would be incredibly difficult to read it as anything but that. Right. It, it would be very out of character for him yeah. to say that. But Elizabeth Warren, in the middle of the debate, there's obviously a commercial break. And her mic wasn't off. None of their mics were off. And she goes over to Bernie and says, hey, I think you just lied on national TV because a question had come up mm-hmm. about that. And Bernie was like, I never said it. Mm-hmm. And Warren went up to him during a commercial break and said, you lied on national TV. And Bernie's like, I don't want to talk about it right now. And then Steyer comes in and he's like, I'm just so happy to meet all of you. But that was irrelevant. Yeah, it's um, But that faux pas really really isolated Bernie supporters who maybe would have voted for yeah. Warren. Yeah, the coalition that would have gone to, to Warren had she, you know, been beating him. Now I don't think it's much issue because he's there. I don't see a chance for her to win. But I guess it's kind of a little point in talking about it now because she's not going to win. But that was the thing that, that people that I knew who are like Bernie supporters, they really hated Warren after yeah. that. They, it, they, they saw it as slimy and like dishonest. Yeah, they it really isolated Bernie supporters in a way that it didn't empower Warren supporters. Yeah, yeah, And I think that, I mean, obviously, it might not have had a a big impact on, like, how she's doing right now, but I'm sure that it did play a little role in how she's perceived by people who are on the fence about her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because back to the point about, like, people that I've heard talking about it, even people that were not necessarily, like, Bernie supporters thought it was dishonest and was alienating. In order to, like, wrap wrap up this talk about the debate, I think it's actually really important to note that debates are pretty much useless. Yeah. So people Especially who, when there's been nine of them. Yeah. So people who watch debates are already a self-selective audience. This is not things that we see when you're talking about the impact of a debate or how well someone did. No one watches them. The people who watch debates are incredibly informed in the political decision are and are involved. In America, just to watch one debate puts you significantly higher up on the political engagement scale. Than most people. Yeah. And so to consider that, like, somebody's poor f- performance in a debate would significantly impact their polls is really misguided. Yeah. And I, I mean, to finish up on that point and going back to Bloomberg, I would not be surprised if he does not come to the 10th debate, to the last debate, because the Bloomberg that you see in TV ads, that where he has total control over the messaging and what people see, is the Bloomberg that's pulling second nationally. And the Bloomberg that was on the debate stage is not, you know, inspiring any support from anyone. Correction, because that is not true according to our... Oh, the RCP our, average. Our RCP average. I haven't checked in a while. It was, yeah. it was true, like, last week. So, real clear politics, as we haven't used recently, but that we use a lot generally, is a database that really averages 
polls from all across the spectrum. So this week's average is from the Washington Post, ABC, Emerson, The Economist, NBC, Wall Street Journal, SUSA, and NPR. Mm -hmm. So all of these are being averaged in order to find out what the national polling is today. And as of right now, we have Bernie Sanders at 28.7, which is a definitive lead over Joe Biden, who's at 17%. Then we have Bloomberg at 15%, showing absolutely no decline, and in fact an increase since the debate, thus enforcing our point perhaps that debates really have no impact regardless yeah. of if you do bad. It I, can I doubt most of the people who are watching that debate would have voted for Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. And I think that a debate actually can perhaps boost your mm -hmm. your score a little bit in terms of people who are undecided, but it definitely can't mm -hmm. drop it as much as people would yeah. like to think. I, I know I'm talking about Bloomberg a lot, but the demographic that TV ads are most effective against, and that's how he's been building his support, is among people who are the least politically engaged. Yeah, so the thing to consider there is that people who don't follow politics very well, those who see the ads are going to be those who are most readily willing to believe the first thing they'd see about politics. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's just a it's just a question of name recognition. We don't really see it in New York because seeing ads is incredibly tailored to the individual here. But in many Midwestern countries where there are things like billboards and stuff, Bloomberg is everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. To I watch any national streaming like TV channel, such as like CNN or even Fox, Bloomberg is all over it. When I was in Nevada at the end of January, this was, you know, I mean, Bloomberg is targeting Super Tuesday states. And so he wasn't really putting a lot of advertising into Nevada, but the guy who was doing the whole advertising strategy, pouring tons of money into the campaign before Bloomberg was Steyer. And I saw more Steyer ads in my one week in Nevada than I have seen anywhere else combined in the last year. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to consider that even though what you're seeing might not be what you think it is, it's not reflective of the average. And that really goes back to like the idea of bubbles yeah. in politics. So like a lot of people think... Like, a lot of people in my circle never thought Donald Trump would win. Mm, uh, yeah, me neither. But a lot of people in the circle immediately adjacent, because at the time I lived in Ohio, a lot of people in the circle immediately adjacent never thought Hillary Clinton could win. What I saw was, because I was, 2016 was when I was starting college. So I was a freshman in college, but before I was a freshman in college, I was a senior in high school. And the, the community that was that I was surrounded by there was a very, like, centrist community we had Democrats, Republicans pretty evenly split. They were, the Republicans weren't super conservative and the Democrats weren't super liberal. The attitude I saw there mostly was, you know, Clinton's probably going to win. Even the Republicans there didn't think that Trump would win, even though some people did support him. There were a lot of people there who were Republicans who didn't support him. So, like, those are two vastly different attitudes among the communities that we're talking about. And that's just two places. And I can only imagine what the spectrum must be would be like throughout the rest of the country. That's why it's really important, actually, and we don't do this much in this show because we don't have time, but it's really important to look at, like, state polling yes. in comparison to national polling because the way that the Electoral College is set up, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, but the way it's set up is really important to look at individual states as opposed to the whole country because, as we all know, plurality, like, the majority vote will not get you the presidency if you don't mm. have the states to back it up. Speaking of the state polls, actually, that was interesting because earlier today someone asked me about the New York primary, and I looked up the New York polling on RCP, and the last thing that was listed there, the last, like, round of polls was from November of 2019. Yikes. Yeah, so also check when your polls are being made because, obviously, November 2019 yeah. is... Yeah, very different picture than now. Exactly. Okay, so speaking of the Nevada caucuses, uh, this may change by the time you're hearing it. 
on Sunday afternoon, but currently at 9.35 p.m., 11% reporting, Bernie Sanders has seven delegates with 46% of the vote. Joe Biden is second at 23% of the vote with zero delegates, and then Buttigieg at 13 and Warren at 8. Here's another thing to note. Nevada is having a caucus. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll see if uh, in four years that's still a thing. I mean, there it is an interesting thing because, you know, considering what happened in Iowa, I think Nevada is kind of auditioning to take Iowa's place in the primary order. Interesting. How would that even be possible? If we're go- talking about, like, the specifics of the rules, I'm not quite sure because I'm not very familiar with them. But it ticks a lot of the boxes that Iowa ticks, like, that we talked about in the other episode about oh, yeah. why it's first. Because of the whole caucusing thing and how, like, it's media show. But Nevada is significantly more diverse and doesn't have the organizational problems that Iowa did. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it'd be really interesting to see what would happen. I'm also, I mean, personally, I'm entirely open to just a primary system. Yeah, yeah you know, just like a ranked choice, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, on a final concluding note, who knows? This is Arya's last semester Yeah. at NYU. Yeah. And so uh, I I will continue it, but I have to continue it under a new name. Kind of sucks. But, like, what am I supposed to call it? It can't be 2020 Vision because <laughs> even though it doesn't seem like it, 2020 is not lasting no. that long. And it can't be 2021 Vision because that's kind of dumb. After 2016, 2017, every, every year has just been going downhill since then. Well, tell that to the temperature. Uh, <laughs> uh. It's February and it was, like, 50 degrees today. It's... Stupid. It's truly stupid. gorgeous, though. It's stupid. The weather was beautiful. But it's also kind of stupid. College. It's big dumb. It's big dumb. <laughs> Great. Just like climate change denial. Okay, that's good. That's You brought it back. That's fine. If you have any suggestions, you know, bring it up because I'm not creative. Yeah. You know, you can send them in to uh, us at miliana at wmyu.org or aria at wmyu.org. That's spelled A-R-Y-A at wnyu.org or m-i-l-i-a-n-a at wnyu.org I think this should be a fun thing Mm -hmm. I think these last 30 seconds should just be like one sentence takes of our personal opinions Roger Stone is a lying sleaze who's gonna spend less than half the time he should in prison and uh, ever since Trump's impeachment did not end with his removal from office he has been raining hell on everything he can because now he knows there's not going to be any consequences. People in first world countries don't care about coronavirus anymore because it doesn't look like a problem to us but there are still people dying by the thousands but in America we have bigger issues like primaries and Roger Stone and his Nixon tattoo. Fun fact Roger Stone has a tattoo of Richard Nixon's face in between his shoulder blades. That's not a lie you can look that up. Oh the biggest problem of climate change is not going to be rising seawaters. It's actually going to be the lack of fresh water that we're going to have. Really? I have not heard that. Yeah. Explain. So I was reading this public policy brief uh, for my public policy class. Yeah. Adequately Imagine named. that. Oh my gosh, yes. And we were reading an economist brief about the actual problem that the lack of water will cause for society mm-hmm. and the fact that by 2050, more than half of the world's population is going to become water scarce or water mm-hmm. so water dependent that like the price of water is going to rise much beyond the fair price. So that's going to be a big problem for agriculture yeah. as well. I actually think it's really important to consider that at this moment right now, more than a quarter of the world doesn't have enough water. So if you can just imagine what climate change is going to do to that by 2050, I mean, it's horrendous. Your memes about World War III with Iran aren't funny. Yeah. <laughs> also, they're just kind of sad because no one in America is going to feel that. No. 
This has been 2020 Vision on WNYU.org. I'm Liliana Boucher. And I'm Aria Tusi. Okay, have a good one. See ya.